0: So I thought I'd take the upcoming start of a new series as a as a reason to talk about the first book ever <laughs> on the weekly hook. I can't believe it's taken us that long. But it's a classic. Oh my god, I totally forgot that we were gonna standardize the intros. I'm so sorry.
1: <laughs> that was fine. You can uh, just start fine. it now. I'm, it just now. Gonna,
0: I'm just gonna do it now. Um and so So listener pretend you didn't hear that? So welcome to The Weekly Hook, the podcast where one of us uh, chooses a topic they're hooked on and the other has no idea what's coming. We're your hookers, Chris and Rashad. And today we're going to talk about the one ring to rule them all and finally the first book discussion on this show. And yeah, find us wherever you get your podcast at sealhook.com, where you can get all of our latest info. And now let's get into talking about... One of the fundamental texts of, of or rather, the foundational texts of high fantasy in the Western world—it's *The Lord of the Rings*.
1: kind of crazy because i've been doing like a rewatch in preparation for this because spoiler alert this one i knew about not spoiler alert behind the curtain this one i knew was coming and after playing D for a minute i'm just like wow this is all just the same like everything is based <laughs> off of this like it's yes. kind of crazy
0: right yeah i know it's it's so weird that's why a lot of the uh i don't know extended uh D um playable species are much more interesting kind of because they break the mold a little bit but yeah it's 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 kind of a big deal a lot of the rings still is obviously amazon bought the rights to a lot of the rings for a lot of money for literally billions i think and, and now they're doing the rings of power which is coming out september 2nd um we're probably going to do an episode about it at some point and, yeah, I'm just wondering, Rashad, what's been your first exposure to Tolkien? Maybe it was Lord of the Rings. Was it the books? Was it the book? Was it uh, the movies? Uh, yeah, what's your kind of history with it?
1: I mean, not nearly as robust as yours, uh, as I can I imagine. But I, my first exposure was the animated Hobbit movie. And that's still my favorite. Hobbit movie out there I mean, that that tr- trilogy doesn't exist in my mind, and other than that, after watching that movie, I had read The Hobbit and then into Lord of the Rings actually it was the f- watching fellowship in theaters that got me into it and then I read the books as kind of alongside watching the movie
0: nice yeah i <laughs> I'm not as in depth i mean I'm probably more in like very much in depth as in depth as you think but not not in my origin story, if you will, because I remember that I had the uh, Lord of the Rings books at home when I was growing up, when I was a child, but I didn't really read them. And so it took me until the movies came out. That was my first exposure to this world. Um, and I was just really hooked on it. Uh, it was really that was i don't know you know it's one of these things where it's like it's a the narrative is very easy to follow along it's a very it's not a very um yeah difficult narrative to follow um and uh, at that time that was kind of right up my wheelhouse i guess but yeah i know just the world building was was really having an impact on me for sure the movie making i think lord of the rings definitely was a seminal moment for me in terms of loving movies which is funny because I don't really like action movies like that much in comparison to other ones but yeah i don't know it's just, it i first watched the movies repeatedly i don't think i've watched them in the cinema which is interesting i, really? I watched them on dvd yeah and uh very quickly got the extended version uh, and i never went back <laughs> and uh, yeah i also really watched the uh i i remember just watching the, the all of the uh special co- like special content that behind the scenes the making offs over and over again uh, probably as much as the actual movies and that was just so fascinating to me getting these glimpses of what this production entailed and obviously this very i don't know romanticized version of what a movie set can be like and i don't know that just caught me and i was i was really loving it for a long time eventually got a got uh, a book fittingly enough <laughs> I, when i was in new zealand um uh, still have that copy i remember 12 new zealand dollars for the entire lord of the rings in one volume that was that what? was nice yeah it was a used book and yeah uh, i've read it a bunch of times i think i read it like three times while i was in new zealand so um that was kind of i was kind of that was the height of my obsession i was i was at mata mata where the uh, hobbiton set was and everything so that was kind of the the height of my my uh, like obsession with with lord of the rings but yeah it wasn't the books first it was the movies and then eventually yeah as you mentioned i i kind of then read all of the other stuff like hobbit and silmarillion yes i also read the silmarillion and then, yeah, eventually three new movies came out that I just hated. And we don't need to talk about them except saying that they're very, very bad and very disappointing. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my story with it.
1: Silence. I mean, you're the one who's
0: hosting. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that this was going to be more of a of a conversation. Anyway, yeah. And so, so what was this experience like for you? You mentioned... You you went back and and watched all of the three movies recently.
1: Oh no, I didn't get through all three because we moved our recording schedule up. So
0: uh, <laughs> that's what you get <laughs> yeah. for progressive, or Not procrastinating, I guess it's it's a, it's a commitment. It's like twelve hours of cinema, but um, yeah. What do you think? Still, like watching most of it, I guess in twenty twenty two.
1: I think it's because I haven't watched it in a while. Um, mm. I can see more of the seams then i thought i obviously i th- i don't hmm. they're still they're great and i some shots and some of it is just phenomenal and then the the way kind of some of it is stitched together i'm just like eh is that really like feasible like what's going on here like in terms of the logic behind the scenes but i'm still enjoying it tremendously and i can't like kind of i the only reason i have to stop is because i can't really stare at a screen for 4 hours straight um, other than that i think it's 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 really engrossing and i really like it and just remembering a lot of the details or a lot of the things that you kind of forget um with the passage of time i am really i'm really enjoying it so i don't want to take anything away from that by saying that i uh i'm looking at it more critically a little bit but so far so good
0: and can you give a, give us an example of uh what one of those scenes was where you could see the themes
1: so for example when the I don't know names of stuff so sorry about that because I don't know shit but when the people of Rohan are going to Helm's Deep or whatever and mm-hmm. the 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 Isengard people come to like attack them or something yeah. Um, I'm speaking so intelligently about
0: this. <laughs> the Urukai. I mean, you—you're real. You—you you, uh, remembered Rohan and Helm's Deep. So that's I literally
1: cool. watched this movie like yesterday. So okay. <laughs> that's why I can't remember. The, I can't at least remember that. And the battle sequence is a little bit like hollow to me. It feels, um, in terms of, it seems like a very closed, small set. Um, compared to what you would imagine it to be and then also from a strategic perspective it makes no sense to leave all the women and children and undefended people unguarded completely and and just go off with your your cavalry in a different direction and where is your infantry and why don't you have archers along like and also it's just i found some things like little details like that in that that's just an example i just thought of right now but Uh, I'm trying to think of something more substantive than just military tactics and why doesn't this make sense and also if you're like a scouting team like they first like get the scout and then the entire uh, from like the the other I I don't forget Legolas I think kills the scout and then all of a sudden one second later there's everyone and It's just that's not how scouts work, and things like that. Also, the time and space of things look a little weird or feel strange sometimes. Being like, how is this working within the space of this world in terms of people movement? And this is a this is an issue with a lot of television, film, and television. Where, and just ask Game of Thrones in terms of space and how yes. people move between space.
0: Sometimes it takes two two days. Sometimes it takes three weeks. <laughs>
1: exactly and i think it's just it's it's like whatever the plot demands it takes that much time <laughs> mm-hmm. and there's some of that where i'm feeling a little bit like huh okay i i can under i can appreciate though that the scenes that are shot are not in sequential order in the sense that like one thing is happening in one part of the world and then the next scene you see on screen is actually happening behind that in terms of the timeline but it's just shot afterwards and shown to you afterwards for a dramatic effect but it, it still sometimes is like okay how is this exactly working yeah so that's some of the well, one example of
0: what i mentioned i guess yeah i mean the uh, screenwriters definitely restructured the entire book so to, uh, to to adapt to be able to adapt it to like a then contemporary movie experience and, you know, they moved stuff around. They definitely didn't include some things. But, uh, yeah, they'd still include a lot. And, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's one of these perennial topics, right? The adaptation problem. What can you, how can you do these things? And I think, for me personally, the biggest issue in that regard was, I think, I think. yeah, you mentioned it. The intercutting, I think, was was a very good choice. Because in the books, obviously, it's not it's like in blocks. So you get like the frodo and sam and gollum story as like one block and then all the rest as one block and that wouldn't work in a movie and yeah but but uh, you know in terms of like monologue and not not necessarily interior monologue as uh, with uh, with frodo but just the way it's described in the in the book how he struggles with the ring for example that there's only so much that facial expressions can do and yeah i don't know that that was like one of these things where it's like yeah it's not it's not possible to to really put that on the screen
1: it's funny you think that because i think that's actually one of the stronger points of the films is how the ring kind of gets at him and you can see it slowly through the process i think it's all it, they they're a little overhanded with it sometimes but again this is cinema from 20 years ago yeah. so it makes sense that it's a little bit overhanded and it's crazy to me in retrospect how fast they churn these movies out
0: yeah i mean they filmed all three of them at once basically
1: yeah so i think that it, i think that's actually one of the, for me one of the stronger points and it mm. it kind of it does hit home a little bit more than some of the battle sequences that i think fall flat a little bit but that's just not fall flat
0: it's a big statement
1: yeah no i mean these are great movies and i really enjoy them so uh, falling flat is a very strong word i think i meant more like leave something to be desired i guess
0: Mm -hmm. which is just another way of saying falling flat
1: no it's not i think i think i still enjoy it falling flat means i don't enjoy it and i really do enjoy it i think that I find myself, especially along this rewatch, asking myself more questions as the action sequence is going through, as opposed to just being engrossed in it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that it doesn't work on screen. It's just I think in in the movie, it's it's more tangible. But that makes sense, you know how, how can you how can you project an inner monologue on screen? That's difficult. But yeah, I agree. They 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 did do a good job in general and so after having after having uh you know watched at least two movies uh, very recently do you think th- does it still hold up in what way in whatever way you want i think
1: it still looks quite good i think because mm-hmm. of the the large practical effects i think it i was surprised when i first pulled up fellowship and being like oh damn this actually looks really good mm-hmm. so in that in terms of that it really does hold up i think it, I mean, it gets lambasted for being sexist in some ways. Um, I think that's a little bit, from what I can think, from what I see. I think it seems a little bit too much. Um, yes, there's no strong women characters, which is one thing, but I don't think it does like as bad of a job as especially a lot of things at its its own time. So I don't think it's in terms of aging. In that way, it's like kind of a neutral. It's not good, not bad. I guess. <laughs> And in terms of visuals, it looks good. I think more in terms of where we've gone and how much we've how how large the cinema landscape has changed, I think that's the only way there's it's a little bit less doesn't age that well, but I think quite i think it does age quite well in terms of something that's you know as I said two decades old at this point
0: yeah it's incredible to think about and <laughs> um, yeah, two decades it's crazy to think. <laughs> but yeah of course you know there there are definitely criticisms to be made about these movies and the book that it is made from but um yeah i think uh, like artistically speaking in terms of the craft it's still and for for the time i would say impeccable um, pretty much and kind of groundbreaking in many different areas uh it's one it's like the the problem of like something that is kind of groundbreaking and then if you watch it way later and you see all the things that have taken inspiration from something, then it's like, yeah, it's just one another one of these things. But no, this was kind of the first one, as with like the the book specifically. Because reading through that 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 kind of seems like if if I I mean I'm not gonna read it again for a while now, <laughs> I think, but I think that book would be heavily edited nowadays.
1: I mean the book is of a like is 60 years old it's like it's a very different the book is from a different generation entirely right exactly i think one of the interesting things what i love about the films at the very least is how it's so unabashedly fantasy in the way that it just leans into it entirely And I think that's a really good kind of message that you don't have to poke fun at whatever you're doing to say, oh, no, but this is for everybody, too, kind of thing by like little Mm -hmm. snide remarks or whatever it is, or this kind of fake humor. Um, There is humor in Lord of the Rings, but it's quite subtle and it's not all the time. And it doesn't really distract from what's going on. And it does feel like a world that kind of throws you into it. And it's because i think the inspiration is from a book i think it's quite good in term in terms of how it peels back layers of characters and information in a very unique way as opposed to a lot of other shows of television that does it more expository and there is a lot of exposition especially in fellowship <laughs> yes. but it i think is i think it's done quite well in terms of balancing how it doles out information ex post and then how it does right in your face as you come in with like a huge you know intro monologue basically by arwen i think it's arwen's (laughs) voice right
0: no it's galadriel
1: it's Uh galadriel's voice got it yeah but still i think it's very interesting uh to see how that is balanced with each other alongside this really really in-depth like uh, unabashedly unsympath like very sincerely fantasy and there's no kind of like second guessing what we are and what we're doing here basically
0: yeah and i remember peter jackson talking about this when they won all the oscars for return of the king where you know he was saying that it's incredible that finally a fantasy movie gets recognition um on that on that scale and yeah i think I think I share your opinion that I love br- like breaking the fourth wall and having like meta commentary on things, but if it happens every time, it's kind of like uh, kind of exhausting. And yeah, that sincerity of like, no, this is a fantasy world, and we're totally gonna do immersion, and we're not gonna be like, you see what I did there? Huh? huh? This is totally a fantasy thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't really. It's, it's. I'm a bit fatigued when it comes to that. These days, um, yeah, so. Speaking of Peter
1: Jackson talking about finally it gets the recognition, yes. I think it really starts with the studio recognition and pouring mm-hmm. in over $200 million in budget and yeah. like two years of filming for a, sh- uh, for a film that really was unprecedented in terms of its scale for some anything, honestly. And mm-hmm. there's very few things that would bring such a, a group of talented people together that... I think it's that's where it really begins in terms of how do we bring more of this kind of stuff and more of more recognition to these things we need to be able to or studios should begin by realizing that these sorts of stories are financially viable and when they're done well critically viable as well and this is you know a very moot point at this point because where we are now 20 years later this kind of storytelling is quite common in terms of it's no longer a secret that fantasy and or other fantastical things can be Produce at the highest level and studios still put a bunch of put more money than ever into these sort of properties not necessarily lord of the rings per se but i mean amazon pouring over 450 million dollars i think it was actually 500 million something like that to make one season of television is absolutely (laughs) insane insane. but obviously the money is through the roof at this point with uh, what it takes to uh, make anything Uh, And especially if you're trying to compete with HBO in terms of how much money it pours into Game of Thrones or whatever it is, or House of the Dragon, I think it's the, the scale and scope and resources that are going into these properties is bigger than ever. And it really starts with Lord of the Rings and the acceptance of Lord of the Rings as such a as a property to as an endeavor to begin and then it's wholehearted embrace by the academy
0: yeah i remember peter jackson also telling the story of of them pitching the movie because they had basically written it so so they didn't want to make just one movie because that's impossible and that's ludicrous but they couldn't imagine a studio making it like <laughs> yeah uh, like agreeing to make three movies and committing so much resources for that so they just condensed everything down to two movies and then uh, they had uh, i think it was new line cinema was the uh, was the company and they had a meeting with like like with the people there and then the person in charge was like at the end apparently said like but isn't it three books why don't you just make three movies i think maybe that that kind of changed the course of cinema for uh, for a long time and yeah i agree like if you you know if you've watched the <laughs> the uh, extended edition with all the special you know, behind the scenes things, you've seen all of the different, because they have they have so many like features on makeup, costumes, props, locations, on everything, on every minute detail. And just the thought that goes into it, there are two people that basically made the all of the chain mail by hand for seven years, and at the end, didn't have any uh, fingerprints uh, with uh, at their thumbs and index fingers anymore. Uh, stuff like that, where they were kind of really committing to, also having a certain production, like standard in terms of quality and how things look, and you know, obviously, Weta workshop kind of that's what elevated them into first class. And you know everything. Everything being done like that with with a lot of people who also were very much in depth with this entire Lord of the Rings lore, and just the commitment. And as you said, the whole like group of talented people coming together, doing this thing for two years. And yeah, if you go from a production standpoint, sometimes up to seven or eight years, it's an incredible achievement. And I think I don't know from Peter. Jack- I mean, that's probably the pinnacle of Peter Jackson's career. And afterwards, definitely didn't meet expectations. I would say with pretty much. I I don't remember everything that he's done, but nothing he he's done was like oh yeah, this is. I mean, of course it's. A, it's a, I mean, what can compare to Lord of the Rings? I guess, but it's still nothing was in my mind came close to it. But in the in this in these movies, I think you can see the kind of a director of more low budget movies finally getting handed a lot of money and just the enthusiasm and like all of the different i don't know it's it's all of the different you know avenues where that went to and the care that went into all of this and so yeah i'm always just like so in awe of this entire project and so, yeah, I also think that in terms of, as I said, like the uh, all all of the technical aspects in terms of, you know, direction, cinematography, writing, everything that's, everything like that is great. Uh, sound effects and the score. I think oh, I love the score so much. I don't know if you have any strong feelings towards the score, but I I just love it.
1: I find it good, but sometimes too heavy-handed mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in terms of its. I I know, you know, score is used to direct emotion. Um, That's part of what it is. But at some points in this cinema, in this movie, I'm just like, don't make me, you know, don't tell me what to feel. I I can feel what I want to feel. But I think that, I think it also maybe develops over time. I haven't started uh the rewatch of return so <laughs> i am just like i don't really remember that honestly but yeah. the for the first two films or particularly the first film um yeah. it's very like okay we get it as opposed to the subtlety uh, the, but the big you know the big uh compositions the shire these like these like iconic pieces of music that define this entire set, like um movie or trilogy is what, is there, what else can I say about that other than the fact that they are the best thing possible I mean they're, they're incredible
0: yeah uh, I mean I totally get what you where you're coming from um, I think just in terms of I, th- I think that's that kind of goes into the direction of what we talked about earlier with them just embracing the entire project of like as well as the dialogue and the acting was like okay we're just committing to this we're just saying things right now that on the on the face of it just sound ridiculous but we're just gonna do it and we're gonna do it with conviction i feel like that sometimes went a little bit over the top with you know if if you try to i mean i i can't do it but i can imagine someone who is not as fond of this uh as i am looking from a more neutral perspective and saying okay this is like heavy-handed but i think it's just i don't know I think it's just the ethos of this entire project where it's like, no, we're just like doing this 120%. And uh, yeah, I think that's kind of where the, uh, uh, yeah, where the, where the score comes from as well.
1: Well, I don't mind it in terms of the dialogue in terms of like something that they there's like three sentences that's that are said that like, that makes no sense, but that's part of the world and that's okay. Yeah. I think, because the score, to me, often best work it best is can be summarized as kind of the bridge between what's happening on screen and the viewer. In terms of it, it communicates what is is trying to be said without actually saying it. And I think that's what the best scores do, because they enhance the viewer's experience without distracting from it. And I think at points that this score, not not necessarily the score itself, but the use of um compositions to for to force you to feel a certain way sometimes to me reads as oh this is like a little bit too much i would have gotten here anyways Uh, Mm -hmm. but or you should maybe consider other potential ways to try and convey those emotions but again this is something that is indicative of where we are in cinema right now, as opposed to 20 years ago and even before that, where I think that it's, it's also a subject of its time in terms of how music is used as opposed to today. Yeah, for sure. And it's hard to divorce the differences or the, not shortcomings, but uh, it it's like really weird to try and like criticize these films because they're so good and I enjoy them so much. Um, the the things that are left to be desired. <laughs> um as my euphemism, as my go all, catch all euphemism. I think it's hard to do, to bring those up because, or hard to figure out whether or not they are just because of the different time, or is it because I've changed, or is it because my expectations have changed, or what is it um, because there are some films that I go back and watch that are even older, and I really enjoy them, and they have similar, not issues, but things that make you think a little bit and take you out of the world, but um, this is something that is so seminal, and it's not that long ago, uh, all things considered, but...
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's always this weird, like, okay, where is this coming from? Like, is it me? Is it the movies? Is it the changing of the time? But, yeah, it's it's just... I, I I mean I haven't watched these movies in probably the longest time not having watched these movies which is probably now like 2 years I used to watch them at least once a year I've watched them so many times I can basically I I know them by heart and it's I could probably watch the usual like the theatrical version and just point to you or at least I was able to do that like point to you every time there was a scene that wasn't the extended version and that was missing from the theatrical cut something like that Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> what would you reckon? How many times have you watched these movies?
1: I think this is all. This is my third time going through them. Wow. Okay. So wow. that's about it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Or maybe fourth. I can't remember when I was younger. Mm. Maybe I watched them a couple times. No. But I think I, I rewatched. I did a rewatch of them once, basically, mm-hmm. late later on, maybe like five, ten years ago, something like that. I think yeah. as the Hobbits were coming out or something like that. And then, and then this current rewatch. So no. I'm not entirely sure because 20 years ago was a long time, or 15 years ago when I would have been watching these films is a long time. But mm. I am not. I remember being as a kid, as a kid, being like, "This is like not scary, but uncomfortable to watch." Yeah, especially with Two Towers. I guess was the first time because it was it was still I was still a little bit younger and watching the golem stuff was like a little like Nye.
0: yeah but that was, i think that was yeah
1: no no in terms of as a kid you're just yeah, like, yeah, I mean, a little yeah, scary I mean. yeah for sure but whenever i did the rewatch as an adult i was like oh yeah this is great and then mm. now doing the rewatch is like yeah this is obviously fine <laughs> but it's <laughs> uh, it's funny what you think of as a kid when you're like 10 or 11 when these are coming out
0: yeah 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 too, for sure and um yeah you you just mentioned the uh the trilogy that must not be named but i don't know i mean we can we can talk about this these movies a little bit more if you like or we can just transition to uh rings of power and like expectations
1: well the thing is you never mentioned like why you like lord of the rings in terms of like what makes okay. it good as films for you i'd like to hear that if you don't mind explaining your not only your history but like yeah. what about the films are interesting what about the themes the messages the like the the movies themselves or yeah. the book itself
0: yeah i don't know i think yeah, as I, I th- yeah, <laughs> that's true. I think I, I mostly went into the into how great of a like piece of craft or art it is. For me, I mean, now nowadays, you know, the narrative is very, very easy, very like black and white. Um, so that's kind of a huge grain of salt in in a way. It's kind of, it's kind of like your po- like like Game of Thrones, kind of the antithesis to that in my mind, where it's like everybody's just gray or worse, more morally speaking. And uh, the ones that that were just morally good are all dead, um, and I don't know. I think I think for for a long time this was just a the these uh, the the book or the movies. I think what caught me what what I found most interesting in in them was just the uh, incredible degree of world building and immersion and just the character dynamics. I think. Um, you know hope as a as a big uh, theme throughout even in the face of you know against all odds uh, never giving up hope i think is a pretty it was something that was pretty uh, you know uh, important for me at that time um it's like made a big impression on me in that in that sense um i don't know i think also from a just a history standpoint that was just very interesting of a like uh because this is like faux history in a way um i mean more myth mythologically i guess but that was also something that i was really into back in the day Hmm. but yeah i don't know like that all all of the character dynamics i think a lot of the family dynamics as well with bilbo and frodo um also the we get a glimpse into obviously uh elrond and arwen and also aragorn in in that sense uh we have i think i think one of the one of the most interesting things to me were was always um theoden and uh oh my god i can't i can't uh, why do i forget the the steward of gondor uh, who are basically two old men Boromir? who lost no his father no the the father denethor um right. basically theoden and denethor is kind of mirror images of each other um and how they grapple with things like loss and uh, their place in the world um and coming to two very different conclusions uh i thought was always very interesting to me on like a more micro level um yeah, all of these things I think were just little tidbits here and there. Obviously, the uh, relationship between Frodo and Sam was always very interesting uh, to me as well, which I found like very kind of. Um, I don't know. Na- nowadays, I can see okay, there are like certain class distinctions between the two of them, um, but back in the day, that well, that didn't really register with me. Just kind of the. The kind of bond between them was always something that I was fascinated by. Um, all of these things I think were were like very interesting also the the entire mythology of it was just something that's why I read the Silmarillion, even though the first part is kind of difficult to read, very difficult to read because it's basically the the uh, beginning of the Bible, just with fantasy names um yeah, all of these things more or less
1: yeah i like your message like talking about hope and it makes sense i mean hope in the face of the worst of things and considering the time that the lord of the rings was written and in retrospect like thinking about the world wars and what that meant and Mm. how you can kind of rise from the ashes in in the face of despair and the returning enemy and a lot Mm -hmm. of these things like in terms of where tolkien is coming from and the space that he lives in it it's a great message that kind of that can, as you said, it it meant a lot to you at that time. And it shows how, or can easily connect to so many people in terms of their own struggles and how do you deal with your own struggles. And because sometimes even in, in your own life, it might feel that the entire world is crumbling around you and hope is something that is hard to see. And a show or a film or a book that shows you or tells you that, or shows you characters that deal with these struggles and overcome them with hope is sometimes a message that we need to hear and it is as it's good that you mentioned game of thrones because game of thrones is the ultimate anti-fantasy fantasy fantasy in the sense (laughs) that it is written explicitly to undercut a lot of the themes and positions that were set up or the tomes of fantasy that were set up in Lord of the Rings and how do we tear all of that down what does it mean to be good and evil in a world that is actually more reflective of our own sense of grayness but it is a lack of hope in that show that is or that those books that really is the difference between something like Lord of the Rings and something like Game of Thrones and and, and they're both great for their own ways but when we're considering what is a message that we want to take back? What is something that we want to really kind of be a part of our own ethos? And and what what makes Lord of the Rings so dramatic and so um, captivating for so many people? I think for me, it's the central message of hope as well as this intergenerational, as you mentioned, place in the world, how youth overcomes or youth continues as age begins to kind of um take away but also transform who we are i i like the fact that you know aragorn is what nine 87 89 years old something like super old yeah. and that idea where he is the intersection of age and youth is a really fascinating space because you have obviously the elves who have lived so long and have this institutional memory because of their immortal lives and I find this relationship between forgetting the past and wanting to continue on and um, m- and I don't know over- overcome future struggles is really this re- this um, the generational conflict that we have with forgetting our own pasts and also those who remember are burdened with their memory in a way. And I just find it a very fascinating those two themes, I guess, if you consider hope as well as how do we deal with intergenerational and uh, intergenerational conflicts and in memory with regards to the the future and the struggles that come up as a result of what we forget. So I, it's 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 a fascinating, and we can have more. We know more. We know people who know much more about memory and memorializing things than us, but understanding those as those interests as uh, as central to these movies i think is a really key aspect of this film especially because like it kind of opens up with i don't know i don't know the exact quote you might know it but history to it, it the story of the the war kind of with sauron went from history to mythology to religion or something of that nature and yeah. It,
0: what? Yeah. Basically, it became legend. Like it became a legend that nobody believed in anymore.
1: Yeah. Essentially, with time, with the passing of time, and yeah. I think that's indicative of that message that we're talking about. Obviously, when we're talking about the the time span between, you know, the 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 war with Sauron and then the 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 present Lord of the Rings, that's a lot longer. But this these issues also exist in microcosms through every character that's dealing with it in. The Lord of the Rings in in the original uh, in the timeline that we're in, so I, I just find that really interesting. Combined with those messages of hope and and wanting to make the world a better place, and then being able to do so, and that's great. And you know, you might and oh, and also Gandalf's quote of even the smallest person can change the world, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. that's a great message. And these things that like imbue messages of hope and inspiration to everyone. That's just it's incredible and it's something that you want to be a part of this world because of these uh, central themes. So those are the, some of yeah, the things th- that I guess that make sense for me.
0: Yeah, that's why I always liked the, uh, the part with uh, Treebeard and Marion Pippin because that is also a clash of one of the oldest beings in that world and kind of the young upstarts. And that is also kind of the clash of generations that we can see in our everyday life where the, uh, I don't know, the the people who are of an older generation have their ways and they have their kind of institutions and rituals and the way of doing things. And then you have the kind of urgency and energy of a younger generation that is not satisfied with these things and just points out some uncomfortable things and is just very insistent on them. And, uh, you know, it it kind of reminds me a a lot of, you know, contemporary things Uh, and not just contemporary things, but just things that come up in there. That that is kind of the, uh, the dynamic in every generation, right. Of the old God and the new people who are dissatisfied and who, you know, want to, want to overcome, the ways of uh, the the way that things have previously been handled, and so I feel like that that was also kind of an interesting way of it, because it is not just the elves, uh, and the elves are always treated with some uh, with this kind of like, oh, we have this huge institutional power and memory, and uh, kind of the uh, ants are kind of almost almost like. Seem very similar, but are also very different, and it's kind of interesting to me, be, be, you know, because they only change when they see, when they when they see what can happen otherwise when when Treebeard uh, brings brings them uh, to basically is bringing them to Isengard or is supposed to, uh, obviously being tricked uh, in a sense by uh, Marion Pippin. And that kind of also speaks to change and how that's usually uh, happens after some amount of pain. Um, And uh, that's also kind of one of these themes that is kind of, which is always very fascinating by me. And I think, yeah, it just goes to the larger point that you were just raising.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you draw the parallels between the ants and the Elves. Because to a certain extent, they both come to the same conclusion that the world's fucked up and we gotta piss, like you know piss off and <laughs> while the elves like do it more systematically the ants kind of just retreat into their forest in a way and yeah the, the ants are brought back into the fold at some point but it's it's very interesting you know if that's is that the logical conclusion to this world that it's best to just leave it behind or are we doomed to repeat uh, to to try and make it better
0: time will tell but i think i don't think i kind of disagree that i mean that they do the same they're they're willing to they they want to do the same thing but the elves kind of you you have kind of the retcon in the movie the two towers that i don't think happens in the book uh where the elves kind of do show up and help but in the book that doesn't happen and so it is kind of the elves are these like are also very isol- isolationist people who think they are like the the end-all be-all and they are just superior and then they just fuck off (laughs) basically Uh, and just like, okay, we're done here, bye. You know, have fun dealing with the problems. Um, And the ends kind of, they are that way as well. They are retreating. They are just happy to kind of like the hobbits as well. um, Just live life as... As they as they have done for a very long time, and it's a very comfortable thing. But the ants, kind of, when they are confronted with it, they do make a very huge st- stand.
1: Yeah, see, that's what I think. I mean, I meant more like the ants in a previous life had re- mm. rejected the world in a way, and they kind of yeah. retreated to because they were kind of in the center of things more so, as I understand it. And not in the center of things, but they were part of the world and then retreated, and then were brought back into the fold. And we're seeing the elves in their initial decision to be like, "I'm leave, we're leaving," and yeah. they, you know, just like screw everyone, basically. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> great, but this leads me to a very important question, Chris. Okay. And you need to think about your answer very carefully. Mm-hmm. Okay, what is your favorite race? In in the uh, Lord of the Rings context, obviously. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, or better yet, rank the races. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thing is that now that I know like that now that you know that, that is a difference from like 20 years ago that I just see how they're just so ethnically coded that I can't like unsee that.
1: I re- like I think uh yes, to a certain extent, but also I think that it's it's more nuanced than I th- than I've been led to believe. In, yeah, okay. in this re in this most recent rewatch, I'm thinking to myself, Oh, that's actually not that bad. Like in terms of yeah. how they are ethnically, how, what, to what extent they are ethnically coded, because there's elements. I don't think there's something ridiculously terrible in terms of that. No, and I, yeah. So I don't think it's actually that bad. Also, I have been spending the past like two years reading, an, like yeah, very old materials in my work. Yeah. So like it's it's like oh, relatively speaking, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right.
0: I know, right? It's like yeah, if you compare compare it to sources from a hundred years ago, this isn't really that bad. Um, at least at least it's not that overt. But
1: even then, like I struggle. Like I don't know if I'm just not attuned to the narrative enough. But I struggle to yeah. even find the the quote unquote ethnic parallels yeah. to our reality. Okay. I don't even know what they are or they would be.
0: Okay, let's let's just let's just leave all of that aside. <laughs>
1: let's leave that aside and thank your races, Chris. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs>
0: you can't call it that. Um uh, so just for for clarification, like what is everything is on the on the table do we make a difference between Rohirrim and Gondorians? Um, no, that's all man. That's all humans. I mean, okay, so are we doing a top 4?
1: Yeah, do a top 4.
0: Do you have one as well? You have to do one if I have Yeah, to do yeah,
1: that. I mean it's easy for me.
0: Okay, cool. Um Okay, the, uh, my my number four is humans. Okay, uh, what's your number four?
1: Ents, that counts, Ents. right?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I kind of forgot about it. I mean, we do, were just talking about them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> gonna, uh, but the thing is, I've I've thought about that recently as well, and also in terms of D and D, which, by the way, uh, you should check out our D and D podcasts here on Serially Hooked.
1: I like the promoting like an hour into our podcast,
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but the people—I mean, the people who are listening thus far are probably already listening to the D and D thing. Um, if anyone's <laughs> listening to this, this will... yeah, the overlap is probably b- pretty big of people who would listen to a an episode about Lord of the Rings and people who li- who listen to a D and D actual play podcast. But um, uh, I don't know. I think, yeah, no, still humans. Humans, okay. Um, then number three is is Ents. uh, just because, yeah, for the reason that I just said earlier cool my um my
1: number three is uh dwarves,
0: okay, yeah, that's my number two, although we don't really see much of them in uh in the Lord of the Rings unfortunately yeah
1: it that's sad, but I like dwarves, yeah. they're cool, yeah, same. Now I'm, making, I'm rethinking, should I have had Ents above Dwarves? But no, okay, I'm fine with <laughs> that. Ents and Dwarves, four, three. And yeah. what's your, oh yeah, your number two, you said Dwarves? Yeah. Cool. Um, my uh, number two are humans, I guess.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, and do we have a shared number one with elves? No. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck <laughs> elves. They just
1: fucked I up. Know. I don't like elves. They're I just know. like assholes, honestly.
0: They always seem so cool, though. Like, if I'm thinking like uncritically, that's it's yeah. always a like, well. The like, thing is, refined...
1: Legolas is cool because he actually does shit. But yeah, all true. the other ones, you're just like, oh well, okay. I guess they no. did stuff in the Second Age, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. And that's why I'm excited to see Rings of Power, but uh, to right. see more elves actually do stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of the Lord of the Rings world we're living in, screw them. Uh, my number one are 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 just hobbits. Hobbits are yes. the fucking best.
0: that would be a life huh oh my god
1: yes but also like just like the unabashed optimism and fun and just like
0: that's why they're not on my list
1: (laughs) (laughs) they're so cool i love them so much Um, and i think that if i were to pick a world to live in it's obviously the shire so
0: obviously yeah Yeah, i'm surprised there's
1: no like tropical world like Species in Lord of the Rings, like our tropical part of the land of Middle Earth. Yeah, I, mean, I guess it's I mean, called Middle Earth for a reason. Exactly, and also, yeah, I don't know.
0: Uh, we could talk about a lot of the racism in Lord of the Rings, but I'm, not, I'm just not gonna
1: really like. What is the ra- uh, explain it to me? Because this is something I literally don't know. Okay, I don't understand it.
0: um like how I think I mentioned this to you, like off mic or like no, when we're not recording, uh when we're doing some D and D related stuff, um of how like orcs and urukai were like in the in the uh in the books were very like from, from a colonialist British perspective coded like quote unquote Asian. Um oh, how they described. I see uh, which is kind of interesting because it cha- the depiction of them changed in the uh in the movies to a more like stereotypically racist kind of uh African depiction with like uh, so uh, certain exaggerated traits that were always considered, uh, you know, by European colonialists, uh, which makes sense because it's like a, uh, you know, it's produced by a lot of U.S. American uh, production companies.
1: Wait, so they say, why is it? Sorry, I literally I'm just I'm trying to be curious here. Yeah. Um. So their depiction in the movies is supposed to look like black people. Yeah, Is that what exactly. it's supposed to be like. Yeah. Okay. That's Got what it.
0: that's what's like uh pretty much widely considered I think to be that way just because of Got like it. the kind of <laughs> I'm going to use some words that both you and I really really don't like like uh the primitive the primal savage sort of thing which Got it. in a, you know in a US American context has mostly been native americans and uh, african americans or rather african slaves. Um yeah. And so kind of the depiction of it changed in the making of these movies. And then bred by the singular white person who just decides, yeah, got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. Kind of yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, look at eugenics. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely white people who invented that.
1: Okay, so the orcs are
0: supposed to represent that, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And then you have, uh, you know, the uh, the troops that that Sauron masters as well. The so-called Easterlings are also described in a very racist way.
1: Oh, that's what they're called. The Um, Easterlings. Yeah.
0: Some of them are called like Easterlings where as well, like in the movies you have the, um, uh, I forget what that, they are not the Easterlings, the East, sorry, the Easterlings are kind of the, um, the infantry, but the people who, um, are on top of the oliphants, uh, which is kind of, kind of cringy to me they in the making of they were talking about okay they wanted to have them look a certain way but they didn't want to like have one specific culture shine through there so they just did a mishmash of certain cultures and it's basically exotis- exotization. And like orientalist's viewpoint on on that, you know, with like merging West African and Aztec and different uh, the different cultures uh, together, and kind of getting a mishmash, so uh, as to uh, like not directly offend someone, just like trying to to put things together, which is also kind of cringy, but that kind of goes back to the to the source material as well. And yeah, you can you can also tell like elves obviously, and the depictions are like, they are like the superior, like they are the superiors to all of them. the The hobbits are kind of just the sturdy, good, good old English people uh, mm, in, the sen- yeah. in the sense, like the 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 innocent country folk as well. It's literally called though, the Shire. Yeah. yeah, exactly. With like, um, you know, speaking of the times uh, that Tolkien lived like this is very much also about industrialization and how uh you know nature has been kind of or humans think they have conquered nature and are urbanizing more and more and that's something that Tolkien lamented this is why saruman is a thing and all of the like the, basically the ants defeating saruman is like nature uh retaliating against like human industry um mm and yeah but even even like within the hobbits you have like the more aristocratic like frodo is quite aristocratic as is like mary and pippin and sam is definitely of a lower class like he's the gardener and all of them are kind of the young uh kind of um nobility who can just like frolic and do do things that they want and other people have to work i mean sam literally is their pack mule um, yeah 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 uh, i actually wh- found
1: that interesting because i found their friendship to kind of be a message about how friends can kind of transcend class differences that's how i saw it and how like friendships yeah. and bonds uh that you build doesn't necessarily have to correspond to your particular class set within uh, that's how i read that uh relationship yeah. at the very least where it starts off that way but then the devotion kind of goes both ways to a certain extent um yeah. eventually
0: from what I know, it's basically the the origin is as well in the First World War for that, where the it's basically uh, Tolkien is trying to picture or kind of depict the um, the relationship between an officer and their like adjutant, uh, who is like their basically assistant, I guess. And um, you know, if you go through things, then that develops a bond but there still is kind of an imbalance and nevertheless but yeah i think that's kind of what it goes back to and i I agree that the uh it definitely is more is becoming more equal uh but yeah i i i would have to reread or re-watch them to see like okay is it really equal at the end i'm not sure
1: i mean Um, equal is different than they have a friendship or a bond yeah that's
0: true I mean,
1: class differences exist and we have to recognize that and deal with yeah. it, right? But how do exactly. we then deal with these differences between these classes that we've set up as a societies? Um, but no, this, these things are really interesting to talk about because someone like me who have watched the movies a few times, but I've literally never read or engaged with anything about it other than the books once and the movies a couple of no. times. So like, it's not like I know anything about this kind of stuff. No. So mm-hmm. this is why it's, it's, it's good, for, this is good for us to do
0: obviously the uh like implicit or rather explicit pro monarchy message also like oh kings will save us and here is here is uh Theoden and here is Aragorn and they're gonna win the day i mean they don't really actually do it it's actually Sam the gardener who saves the day but uh you know in the grand scheme of things that's like the, it's a very still a very elitist if you think about the uh dramatis persona like all of the people who who like come up, it's mostly like nobility um, that are like you know that talk to each other. That's really interesting
1: because um, like the the quote that I mentioned about like this even the smallest person can change the world. That I mean that could mm-hmm. be really directed at Frodo, but this is the first time I considered it really directed at Sam. Yeah. In terms of you know him being the one to actually do things, I also read it as potentially Gollum because it is Gollum who ends up kind of being the reason the ring gets destroyed, yeah, uh, and his greed for it that kind of ends up his. I mean, spoiler alert, uh, but <laughs> uh-huh. it's it, I, I find I mean that could be another message in terms of I mean because that is the critical story right that's yeah. going on here. Everything else is just kind of political intrigue or war like a grandiose mm. war story in the end because even if the people lose i don't know at the battle of helms deep and rohan's destroyed or whatever or gondor they all die or whatever and aragorn dies and everything's dead it's like even if the the ring gets destroyed then that's like a whole that then all still forgiven, not forgiven but you know all will eventually be set right yeah it is it is that story that is the critical narrative random question mm-hmm so why couldn't they take the Eagles to Mordor?
0: <laughs> you tell me. I have no idea because I mean, okay. because that would have made for a bad book.
1: I always understood it that it was it was because they had to like go outside of the view of Sauron, basically, yeah. and they couldn't because if they flew in, Sauron would see them, basically, and
0: yeah, and I basically all of all of Mordor would have mobilized against them, and they would have still lost yeah. because there were still the nazgul and everything yeah 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 that's and also
1: of- like yeah or also like when when frodo's ever in the direct gaze of sauron like he basically collapses and is like keeling over almost dying right mm. so like i think i don't know that's how i understood it in terms of this is why um but i obviously that's a, that that question was given in a little bit of jest but yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean that's what they literally say a few times throughout. Where like we we don't just. I mean, I think Boromir says it in the first m- movie slash book in the Council of Elrond, where it doesn't really make sense to march with an army on like <laughs> into Mordor because that's not going to achieve anything. You need to have a sneaky little party to uh, infiltrate, basically.
1: Yeah, um, it's also another question that I had is that like how is Mordor allowed to just like slowly build up over time like how did we get to the point at the beginning of lord of the rings where you have already established strong mordor wouldn't you imagine that they would kind of like keep an eye on it at the very least yeah or i think that-
0: the the in-lore uh reason is which is not in the lord of the rings but uh like the reason is that they they did that kind of uh and then you know, as you as we talked about earlier, you know things fade into memory into lore, into folklore, and people don't take it seriously. So there wasn't this urgency of we have to do this so they were a little lackluster and so that allowed Sauron to amass some more power and then eventually take over some things like Kirith um, Ungol, for example, which is kind of the entrance was was uh, a uh, Gondorian watchtower at some point to keep to to basically survey uh all of mordor um but then eventually uh, the gondorians didn't really pay much attention and sauron amassed uh an army and took everything over back again and then he was too powerful to just like be defeated all all at once and obviously also like everybody else didn't really band together you know rohan and gondor and the elves and the dwarves all kind of did their own thing so it's just because
1: of a the fall of gondor and then the fractured nature of the alliance between the different parties who would go against mordor led to the the watchful eye on mordor to kind of be slip away i guess
0: yeah and and just like over time the like there wasn't that much attention on it because you know like a hundred years later like in in like human terms, that's like a and that's like many differ like many generations, or let's say five hundred years doesn't matter. Like it just people are like, yeah, that's that happened, but that's what that was so long ago, and why does it really matter for us? Sort of thing.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because like it seems that everyone knows about orcs and knows about Mordor as an evil place when we're in the place of fellowship, right? It's like, oh yeah, yeah, orcs are a thing, and Mordor is a thing, but then. Uh, yeah it's just like it's always interesting to me how that ended up being mm-hmm. so that's yeah. uh, that's all the questions i have i guess okay cool. um so. <laughs> are you looking forward to rings of power coming out next week
0: uh yeah i i initially i wasn't gonna watch it what like, yeah no Whoa. Like, or, or like or rather i was on the fence about it but now i'm like yeah i'm gonna watch it i don't really i don't really have any formed expectations about it i i've watched the like trailer a few times but you know which already <laughs> tells you that i'm not super hyped about it um i'm just curious the first the first time i watched the trailer i was kind of disappointed but the more really I was, like, what why were you disappointed because it looked a lot like visually it looked a lot like the hobbit which i didn't like uh, obviously really? not i thought it looked more like aspect. lord
1: of the rings Sorry. Yeah. Go now
0: ahead. that I, though, now that I've watched like more recent trailers, it, it looks more like a lot of the rings. So now th- that's why I'm totally going to watch it now. Um, and yeah, I'm just going to be curious because I, uh, you know, <laughs> we've been burned with prequels before, but it's so far before what happened that I think it's going to be interesting. Um, just to tell a whole different story. There are obviously some casting choices that I. Uh, like find very interesting. I'm just gonna be curious what kind of story they're going to tell. Obviously, it ha- will have to do with the rings. But apart from that, I have no idea. I would imagine because it's
1: like I would imagine it's you know the lead up to this. I don't know. This is complete speculation. The yeah. lead up to like the the war and with Sauron and everything. I would, like over the few seasons that it's gonna run or something like that. Yeah, uh, I think so as so. well the forging of the rings of power and then the one ring to rule them all and then the consequences and that's what have i would the giant imagine battle at the end yeah exactly it's so interesting like what are the things i'm most looking forward to this like fall because there's so many things coming out we have two star wars mm-hmm. shows coming out in the fall we have uh obviously rings of power house of dragon obviously uh, and then wakanda forever and there's just all, on top of that there's like then there's just so many things coming out.
0: And there's going to be Oscar season as well. So a bunch yeah. of great movies are going to be coming out. Yeah. And we're going to cover it all probably on Serial Hooked. So stay tuned for that.
1: I mean, that's a good transition as any if you just want to.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, and so with that said, thank you so much uh, for listening. And if you've enjoyed the show, give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. For Richard, I'm Chris. Talk to you next time.